This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, good evening and welcome to Green and White, the weekly Argo Life podcast. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify and Stitcher, so please follow and subscribe on those platforms to keep up to date with new episodes. And with us today to discuss, well I'd usually say the latest in all things Argyle, but today is going to be a transfer special, well it's going to be a transfer special. Uh, with us to discuss that, we have Josh. Hello. We have Tom. Hello. And a brand new contributor to the podcast, we have Colin. Hi there. Um, let's dive straight in. Uh, does anyone in particular want to kick us off? We're going to roughly discuss the um, how Argyle's transfer period went. Generally, I can't imagine it having a especially positive tone, but uh, then we'll probably discuss a couple of other things towards the end. Uh, Josh, I know you've got loads to say. Well, on, on the transfer window, yeah, I think what most people will say about it, which was that it was <sighs> underwhelming, I guess. We talked about for for a long time about really needing reinforcements. Players got moved out. Uh I think Threlkeld was a was you know ultimately an exciting signing when he was announced. Um, a, a lot of people are very happy to see him return, but he's been here since the start of January and has barely paid at all uh, a handful of minutes. And then uh, we've signed a defender who's made an incredibly small amount of appearances for Luton, so in the same boat as Threlkeld for us, but over the period of a long time um, and. I don't know. I, I just look at what we've done, and I, I'm not especially positive moving forward. It's a little bit weird because the results have picked up massively, but um, I think it's a little bit concerned the lack of uh, strength and depth that we've got now moving forward. Did, did Thorogood? Has he actually played some minutes? 
I think didn't he play in his first game? I actually can't remember. No, I don't think he did. No, I don't he's, think he's, he's not played yet. Yeah, Is I, he not I thought at all. No, I thought they had a good opportunity to bring him on. I mean, hell, closing out some of these games, you'd have thought Threl called on for Fox, but. My assumption is he's chronically unfit, and that's why he's had nothing yet. He can't be that unfit, can he? Well, he spent a fair bit of the, engines, uh, the season injured, didn't he? Did he? Hmm. I can't think of any other reason why you wouldn't bring him on to close out any of these games. I mean, even what? No, he hadn't signed by the Oxford game, but Southend United, he could have brought him on at 3-0 up. Assuming we'd signed him by then, I actually can't remember when we, we signed him, to be honest. South End that we, yeah, he no, he didn't come on then. Again, I just, I've got to assume he's not fit. Um, Colin, do you want to uh, dive in on that, sorry, on uh, transfers? No, I, I'm mystified why, um, why Oscar hasn't played a minute so far. It just seems perverse. Derek almost seems to take pleasure in bringing people in and then sitting them on the bench and making, making them wait it out. Um, actually, my, my main concern on the transfer window was at the other end of the pitch, to be honest, because I think we're looking very, very light at the front now. I mean, uh, Freddie's played, I think he's played 35 games so far this season. He's played every single league game and he's played four Carabao and FA Cup games. Taylor is, well, we know about Taylor and his ankles. Uh, he's already been injured this season. Um, and we've let Dyson go without him playing a minute. So, um, we focused on the, the back a lot for obvious reasons, leaky defence at the start of the season. But the big message from the transfer window for me is we've we're back to the situation we had last season. We had uh, Taylor and Church, and uh, injuries meant we had pretty much nobody playing at the front. We're in danger of doing that again now. What if Freddie gets an injury? He's never played. I don't think he's ever played 35 games in a season. It's a valid point that I mean I'd say there's a slight difference in that Church came in already unfit. But you're right that we're in the territory of if one gets struck down for the rest of the season, then what happens at that point if the other gets an injury, say, in March and is out for three, four, five weeks? Especially if... I mean, we've got a relatively difficult... We've just started a relatively difficult run. We've got another five games before that difficultish run ends. If we were to lose one then and another right as the easy period starts, then we'd potentially be looking at wasting our best opportunity at properly clearing the relegation zone. And and uh, guaranteeing our survival but I suppose do do you think that okay what would you have done what do you think is do you think it was a bad transfer window and why and then what would you have done differently Colin that is I'm not convinced it was a terrible transfer window I mean if you look at this time last year uh, what we brought in four players last year two of whom were gone by well, I think Church was gone by, what, February, March? Mikazi was gone by April. He was back to West Ham on loan. We were left with, with Zach Viner and um, um, uh, Remy. And that was basically it. Um, so actually, <laughs> it wasn't a brilliant transfer window this time last year, was it? Yeah, that's true. But I think something that a lot of people have missed is that the nature of transfer windows, especially in League 1 League 2, is changing. And... It, it's not especially easy to affect a whole team overhaul in January, as easy as it was a few years back. Championship sides have got that bit more financial muscle, and it's much easier for them to consolidate players and not have to loan them out if they're not performing. It, I mean, if you look at sides as they came into the transfer and as they left it, there aren't many who are obviously stronger 
as a result of the window. Some have seen bit part players go, only to replace them with other players who are going to be bit part players. Um, I can only think off the top of my head, I know there's another one that, that's escaped my memory, but Peterborough one, I think it's Peterborough, and uh, Scunthorpe are another, and there's another obvious side who have definitely strengthened that I can't think of. But otherwise, generally, we're talking about sides being as strong or weaker. Rochdale, I think, are a main one that pop into my mind as being a side that come out of January weaker. It's Crystal got to a stage Rivers. now. Bristol Rovers, no, because they brought in Abu Agogo. Who, did they lose anyone? Mm. Um, I think didn't have anyone good to lose this year, did they? Payne and Clark Harris, but they're. I thought not Clark starters. Harris came in. Oh, sorry, Katie came in and uh, Payne went out. Yeah, but Payne wasn't. They didn't. They weren't too keen on Payne anyway. So that's. I'd say Bristol Rovers are looking stronger. They're one of a few sides to look sort of marginally net stronger than they entered January, but. Yeah, I mean, keeping your squad together now is a good thing in itself, especially being a weaker side from a financial point of view. If you look at Bristol Rovers, who spend similar amount that we do on wages, or it seems that way, the last two transfer windows, and they've had someone good to sell, be it Billy Bowden or Matt Taylor, they've gone. They haven't been able to hold on to them. They've had to sell them mid-season. And, you know, it's changed the, the landscape of their season. So, if anything, we should sort of be thankful we've held on to Kerry and Lemiris. Tom? Uh, I have to agree with Colin on the transfer fund, really. I think that, I mean, if you take take a look at uh, Peterborough at the weekend, we had five defenders, Macy and Jeff caught up front. I mean, obviously we, we did win one on the bench, yeah, sorry. And uh, if you look at it, we you have to look at it and think, who's coming off to win us the game in that position? I mean, Jeff, Jeff Cott's only got a handful of appearances under his belt and is by no means impressed by any great standards since he's come in. At the same time, you've got Songo and Threlkeld, who admittedly can come on the midfield. But even then, if Sarsovic comes off and we want to replace him with a like-for-like player, or in, or indeed if he gets injured later in the season, who's actually going to replace him now? But would would you therefore sign... So, I mean, we, we assume that Threlkeld comes in to replace Stuart O'Keefe, which leaves, in theory, six midfielders. Fox, Songo, Sarsovic, Ness, Grant, Conor Grant, that is and Oscar Threlkeld. Would, not that I would like to consider Songo as a midfielder, I'd much rather have him as a backup defender, but assuming that's how Adams is thinking, would you say it's worth buying that extra midfielder, knowing that Grant and Ness, well, they should be back soon, but they should have been back about a month ago, but knowing that Grant and Ness are coming back, is the financial outlay of purchasing another midfielder, another centre midfielder, worth it, if they're going to return on that person, we're going to pay six months' worth of their contract for no reason. I think it heavily depends on if he's planning on keeping them next season. That's with, um, well, Grant in particular, I'd say, if he's going to keep Grant next season. If he's if he's planning on having him in his first team plans next season, then by all means, take that short-term gamble. But if you feel like you can get a better player in, who is in your future plans, then perhaps that's probably better in the long haul. Is, is he going to get a best player in, though? Because, I mean, Conor Grant's a decent player in centre mid. People forget that the reason everyone thought he was rubbish was because Adams played him in left mid for four of his first eight games, even though he's obviously not a winger. He, you know, he is fine in centre mid. He is probably one of the best of the... When he did play in midfield, he usually outperformed Ness when he played alongside him and had a decent game against Wickham. I don't think there's anything wrong with him in centre mid 
I, I, I imagine sort of letting go of Wild and using that money to bring in a centre midfielder instead of an attacker. I think it comes down a lot to uh, sort of quality um, as, as well as the financial issue. I mean, something you've, you've got to consider is the grandstand redevelopment is ongoing. These things, this type of development, I, I'm not sure I've ever seen a development that stays exactly on budget and it always ends up requiring more funds to go towards it than yeah. previously planned. Look at Spurs haven't signed anyone for two windows. They've got an enormous project going on. Um, I, I can't believe for a minute over there that it's because Daniel Levy or Mauricio Pochettino don't want to sign any players. Um, and like Nick said, with the, the championship teams having more financial muscle and hoarding players, uh, there's the aspect of them paying players more uh, and they're not keen, you know, if you've got friends in higher leagues, you know, when where Neil Warnock's at Cardiff, you know, you can benefit from that as we did with O'Keefe because you can guarantee we weren't paying, a, a, well, very much of his wages. But clubs... I mean, he was allegedly gonna... on £13,000 a week, wasn't he? Exactly. On Football Manager, it was 15000 and that's a relatively accurate measure of, of what their wages are. But... Um, Clubs don't want their players to be going and playing for other teams for free. Um, they will make, want to make money back, and um, there's not a lot of League One clubs that can afford some of the uh, enormous wages of Championship reserves. I know Argyle can't clearly. Colin, Tom, dive in. I mean, the thing that strikes me when we're looking at what people are playing for 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 players is the. It's definitely an us and them scenario. I mean, you look at Greg going to Sunderland for what a rumored four million, um, four million. Ultimately, four million, which presumably depends on some kind of bonuses for goals scored or whatever. But I mean, people are going to point to that and talk about their ambition compared to Argyle's lack of ambition. I mean, Sunderland's last reported turnover was one hundred and twenty-three million pounds, which is roughly um, what Argyle. Probably turning over six million pounds, and most other clubs in the five, six, seven million pounds. Yeah, hold on, that, no, but that that doesn't stack up though, because one, the last ported turnover was when they were in the Premier League, if I'm remembering correctly. Even if it's in the Championship, that's parachute payment assisted. Uh, no, it, well, it was when they're in Championship. No, you're absolutely right, because we're we're a year or two behind yeah, with the wages. But, 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 I mean, uh, the, 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 their financial uh, model, they, they're not just splashing money. The guy who's come in, Stuart Donald, is very much running it. Uh, similar to the way, not quite the same, similar to the way Argyle are running it, with a much uh, tighter control over the finances. Yes, they've got more to spend than others. I'm not going to deny that. But they're not just going out and splashing the money to get back up. He doesn't have as much, number one, that's part of the reason why. And number two, he doesn't want to take them back into the circumstances they've just been in, where they spend what they potentially have, but not what they don't actually, but not what they actually have, and rack up huge debts. So, I mean, just be a tad careful when, you know, yeah, making that kind of comparison to Sunderland. Sunderland. But you're yeah, right in terms of what they're spending. Sorry, go on, Colin. I didn't want to yeah. too heavily interrupt you. No, no, that, that's okay. No, you're absolutely right. The problem we've got with when we look at the finances is that we're at least, what, 18 months out of date yeah. uh, in terms of um, reporting finances. And when you've had a, a double drop like Sunderland have, you're always going to be behind the curve. So that's definitely right. Um, but I mean, I think probably more relevant than that, and this, this is a contentious one for Argyle, and I'm almost reluctant to bring it up, is this whole question of geography, um, because the issue that I think people have always pointed to with Argyle is the difficulty of of getting loan players in the window, and we know that I suppose majority of the the moves in the January window window are loans rather than 
um, outright purchases. And I think sometimes I think it's a bit of a an excuse for Argyle. We can't get players. But on the other hand, when you look at the loan moves at an awful lot of the other League One clubs, there are an awful lot of mm. loans with clubs that are relatively close at hand. And and we suffer from that. Let's face it, where we're going to get our loan players from? What? Talking yeah, Truro, Exeter? I can give you, can give you examples of that. Um, Ricky Holmes, uh, who, as far as I'm... He is Charlton for a while. He's now playing for Sheffield United, but I believe he still very much has his roots in... Uh, South London in the Charlton area he's now gone on loan to Gillingham so that's relatively close to where I I think I read this somewhere that's relatively close to where he used to live slash still does live and Zach Clough who's gone to Rochdale who which is obviously not far away from Bolton where he was playing up until a couple of years back so again these are you know places close well, quite easy for them to get to and close to where they either used to live or currently do live and have you know friends and relations see so, yeah, I think you're right I think that does play a bit of an aspect yeah I think, I mean, I'm really split on this because I was looking at the various sort of summary of the transfers. You had the likes of Walsall who brought in players from Birmingham, Villa and West Brom, all of which are obviously Mm. on the doorstep. Bradford brought in players from Leeds, Preston and Derby, ditto. But the flip side, just to contradict everything I've just said, you know, Luton brought in players from Barnsley and Derby. Charlton got players from Preston, Huddersfield and Bradford. Uh, Barnsley from Fulham and Yeovil. Peterborough from Brighton and Cardiff, so you know the flip I mean, side of that those, is that if the if the if the price is right or the deal is right, people will move a couple of hundred miles. Yeah, um, sorry, who are the three sides you quoted then? Luton, Peterborough, um, and no, Charlton, Barnsley, and Peterborough. Um, so Charlton brought in loan players from Preston, Huddersfield, and Bradford. Yeah. Barnsley from Fulham and Yeovil, and Peterborough from Brighton and Cardiff. And what do those three have in common? Sorry, say again. What do those three have in common in the league? No, all I'm saying is. Oh, they, I was going to say. I was going to say they're chasing promotion. Oh no, absolutely possi- right. Yeah, yeah. Possibly, no, sorry, you're you know, an incentive right. yeah, yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Luton yeah, yeah. especially. I mean, who wouldn't want to join Luton? They're a side who look like they're going to be promoted. I mean, if, you, if you're going to join a side, a side on loan, Josh or Colin, did you have any other transfer points in terms of going out? It was a success, though. In terms of players who left. Yeah, I'd like to be interested to know what in wages that would have freed up actually. Um, who did move? Wild. Dyson did Ainsworth went on loan to Stevenage. Ainsworth stayed. Peter Grant left for uh, Carlisle permanently. Yeah. And uh, Wild left for Livingston permanently. And Dyson's yeah. is a loan with a view Options to a permanent. Buy. Yeah. Yeah. So that might um, be a higher percentage of wages potentially, but we don't yeah. know. Well, it's a shame that. We lost Peter Grant and kept Scott Wooten, ultimately. Yes, it is. Great disappointment. I find that absolutely mystifying. I don't know what he's saying. Grant played five or six games. I thought he was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he had errors. You know, he he made a couple of small mistakes and his passing wasn't especially good. But his defending was miles better. Yeah. And his communication was, you know, very good. You could, you know, it was visible. His communication. He shouted a lot more. He pointed a lot more. That's been obvious since preseason. I remember picking that up in the first preseason against Parkway. He looked like a communicator. Mm. Do we know whether Dyson is recallable in the dire emergency with Freddie and um, Taylor? Uh, it hasn't been reported anywhere that I have seen. I mean, would that you... would talk, talk about irony if he comes back and saves the season at the end, having been given no chances at the beginning of the season. Would be, are you, yeah. Are you even are you able to register them? Like, if he was able to 
come back in March. I thought the way that they do it these days tends to be players are only recallable like if the club cancels yeah. or is in the transfer window, something like that. I'm not entirely sure. That's a sort of question we'd have to ask Rory, but that does ring a bell. You're right. But if you look at outgoings, you fancy Stuart O'Keefe's loan ended, Dyson loaned out, plus those other two on permanence. And you look at what... So that's four players gone, effectively, yeah. to some extent. And then you look at who's in, Threlkeld and um, uh, Lloyd-Jones. Jones. You can't imagine yeah. that those two are taking up much of what we've got back. So even though I'm not especially for using money we don't have, you've got to imagine that that money was allocated to the budget anyway. So yeah. why hasn't it been spent? And the other only... factor is you've got we've still got Scott Wooten. We've let Peter Grant go. I mean, is their combined wages less than what Sonny Bradley wanted at the end of last season? You know? Yeah, it's another thing point. that you think about. Um, he left Safari he, he, yeah, yeah. Oh no, look, Nick likes him to be fair. What kind of van? So does his mother. Yeah, Safari Moore. Oh, Safari Moore. Sorry, I misheard you. Safari Moore's not as bad as everyone said. Moore suffered a fair bit because he is playing next to Fox, just like Sawyer's now suffering a bit by playing next to Fox. It's not really much of a coincidence for me. He's still got a lot of improvement to do, but he got hammered more than he deserved to. I, I think by the end of his spell in the team, he was so bereft of confidence. You could see that he didn't want the ball. He didn't I'll agree with that. On the ball. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And the break will hopefully have done him good. Hope so, yeah. Um, right, let's let's pause that there. Um, so, I have got one of the most difficult quizzes uh, that you can imagine. Because Sam only got two points on it. But I'm now going to rerun it for one of you three. So who fancies the challenge? Uh <laughs> I'll tell you I'll tell I'll tell you I'll tell you exactly who it's on first because it's a difficult one. And any okay. one of you three can volunteer yourself. It's on Carl Fletcher. Oh no. I'm out. That's a definite no from me. Well, Tom, <laughs> you should have spoken quicker, my friend. I'll embarrass myself. <laughs> um well, like I said, Sam only got two on this, so or it might have been three, so it's not exactly a very high bar. Are you ready, Tom? As ready as I'll ever be. Okay, cue the music. In 2011, Carl Fletcher was awarded the Player of the Year award for the second consecutive season. Who was the previous player to do the same? Actually, I'll tell you what, I'm going to change it on to make it slightly easier. In 2011, Fletcher was awarded the Player of the Year award for the second, for the second time. Who was the previous player to win it twice? In a, uh, uh, to win it twice. Watson. Correct. It was Watson. One point to Tom. He's already close to Sam. Fletcher scored in his debut against which side? Um, Sheffield United. Correct. That might be tied with Sam. Who scored the first goal of Fletcher's managerial tenure at Argyle? Basira. Incorrect. Feeney. To the nearest five, what percentage of games did Fletcher win with Argyle? 32%. To the nearest five. 35%. <laughs> That's not even the closest that, five to 32. It would be closer to 25, wasn't it? It was awful. 25. Yeah, it was 25. Yeah. How many goals did Fletcher score for Argyle? Eight. Oh, nine. Close. 
bonus point question. Fletcher only scored in back-to-back -back games during the 2009-2010 season. Name the two sides. Um, Dagenham and Morecambe. Well, I mean, that was in the championship, so you're automatically wrong. Oh, championship. 2009-2010. Oh. oh, sorry. Um, Watford and Astor. Wrong anyway. Reading and Barnsley. Fletcher did score in his final home park match. Name the opposition. There's a cup game. Morecambe. Incorrect. Starbridge. Starbridge. Who was Fletcher's first permanent signing as manager? Gil Martin. Incorrect. Blanchard. In 2011-12, so League 2, Argyle ke uh, Fletcher kept Argyle up. How many clean sheets did the, keep, did the team keep from his appointment onwards? Eight. Oh, close again. It was nine again. And finally... Fletcher was sacked after a 2-1 defeat to Bristol Rovers. It followed a run of one win in how many games? 12? Ooh, 15. But no shame in that, because Sam, who himself was very disappointed, I think he only got three at most. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's a pretty good effort. Because I would have got about two from that. So, nice one, Tom. In which case, we'll go straight into pre uh, predictions. Um... Josh, actually, do you want to go first? Predictions ahead of Portsmouth. Uh, oh, dear me. I'll go 3-2 to Portsmouth. Oh, high-scoring encounter. Colin? Oh, dear. I'm going to go 2 all. Not very exciting, but uh, I think we'll go ahead and then 2 all at the end. Really should start actually have a little point score for this. I wonder who'll be winning. I see every time I predict a win, I went on a whole run of predicting wins and Argyle lost them all. Now, I've been recently predicting losses, and Argyle have won them all. So I'll be bottom. Um, Tom, your prediction? Uh, Pompey in poor form, but I think they'll beat us 2-1. I think I'll go with that too. I think 2-1. Excellent. Um, That's an Argyle win then. <laughs> <laughs> true. Very true. Um, that's right, I should actually bet on them now. Basically yeah, guaranteed. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Um, alright uh, okay so that is our show thank you all so much for listening we hope you enjoyed it thanks in particular to Colin for standing in for us and we'll have him as our backup in case we ever need him again do you enjoy your time on the podcast Colin? I'm flattered flattered indeed so yeah no yeah, Colin you'll be back frankly don't worry you can't get the staff can you? Uh, no Anyhow, thank you all so much for listening and listening to that little bit at the end in particular. <laughs> and from all of us, uh, good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.